coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus as I shall see and I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Praise the Lord. That will be a wonderful day. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, read through verse 5 as we kick off our new Wednesday night series. It'll last probably about eight weeks, maybe ten. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, <clears throat> practical principles for powerful living. Proverbs chapter 25. Let's read the first five verses and we're going to consider a simple thought today. We're going to consider this thought. Prepared for the master's use. Prepared for the master's use. Proverbs 25, verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. The heaven for height, the earth for death, the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Take away the wicked from before the king, 
and his throne shall be established in righteousness. I want to focus on verse 4 tonight. It says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. You know, in that particular passage, it says, Take away the dross. And if we would define dross, if we'd look it up and simply see what Webster even says about it, at least in the 1828 dictionary, it would say the recrement or uh, dispumation of metals. Now, you figured it all out. You understand exactly what it is. He goes on to say the scum and extraneous matter of metals thrown off in the process of melting, waste matter, refuse, any worthless matter separated from the better part, impure matter. That's the dross. Simply put, I guess we could simply say, dross is a scum which floats on the surface of the molten metal. It's the scum that floats on the surface of a molten metal. Now again, dross is exposed when a piece of metal is submitted to great heat. A piece of metal may look just fine from the outside or if you will, from the standpoint of just gazing over it with the naked eye, but when it's exposed to heat, the real character of that metal is finally revealed. And the impurities of that metal come rising to the surface. This process, of course, appears very ugly. It's kind of nasty looking, really. You figure dross, you think about something that is simply scum, which floats to the top. It doesn't seem very flattering. It doesn't seem very nice to consider or look at, but it is a valuable process. The truth is is that the true beauty of a metal is only realized after it has been exposed to heat and after the dross has already come to the surface and after the dross has already been removed. That's when and only then is the metal truly as valuable and as beautiful as it possibly can become. You know the same is true about your Christian life. The same is true about you and I today. We may appear to be just fine on the surface. I mean, uh, I may look at you, you may look at me, we may say, wow, you know, looks like a great Christian, sounds like a great Christian, appears to be a great Christian. However, when exposed to heat, the true and real character is going to come forth. See, it's a little bit different of what it appears to be on the surface than what it really is many times. The process is often a very ugly process, but it's a necessary process. So even as a metal is made more pure and more valuable when exposed to heat, once the dross is removed, the same is true in the Christian life. Because the believer becomes more pure and more valuable through this process. Again, it's not necessarily a comfortable process. But it's one that's necessary if we ever hope to fulfill the true will of God for our life. And when you really boil it all down, good pun on words, right? The real goal is to be found in the image of Christ. When you were saved, the Lord began, the Bible says, a work in your life. And when He began that work, He promised to continue that work throughout your life. 
In the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work. What's that work? To conform you to the image of his son. To make you Christ-like in appearance. To make you Christ-like in mind. To make you Christ-like in your attitude and your actions. And so the work that God is doing in our lives is literally for the purpose of making us like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So to make sense out of life, to make any sense out of this life, with its many trials, its many tribulations, the truth that we are addressing and discussing tonight must be understood. Although we may not desire refinement, although we may not desire to be hold our, have our feet held to the fire, to experience the discomfort that that will bring in our lives, we must remember that God is good in permitting it anyway. Because it is only in being exposed to the heat that you and I will truly become the very best we can be for God. Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we're just going to talk about this idea, prepared for the Master's use. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Father, for just this simple message as we kick off this new series. Lord, help us, Father. This is not an easy subject. It's not one that is comfortable to speak of. It's not one that's comfortable to have to live. And yet, Lord, it is one that produces ultimately the greatest of all Christian virtues. Help us, Lord, now, Father, to hear from you and allow you to work and move in our lives. Bless us, we pray, in these next few moments. In Christ's name, amen. What we learn is from this process is that the heat will refine. It will refine. A number of years ago when I <clears throat> went to basic training in the military, I was told early on in that process that at some point in our training we were going to have to go on a 25-mile forced march, if, the, if you will. Uh, 25 miles. That's a long ways, I thought. And it is a long ways. I was stationed at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and although I did go in the latter months of the year, I still have to admit that it got rather warm there. And again, right off the bat, they're telling us about it. I don't think they were really trying to inform us. I think they were trying to scare us. I think they were trying to kind of get us a little nervous about a 25-mile march. I can still remember it being very warm and humid that particular day as we rose that morning. And we're required to wear our full BDU uniforms and, of course, our helmet and our, our, our pack and everything that went along with it. They made you weigh your pack down. They wanted to make sure they had at least 50, 60 pounds in it at least. They were very, very thoughtful. We began marching early on that morning and it wasn't very long before the sun started coming up. And boy, I'll tell you what, that heat started 
really filling the, the void of the, the morning uh, dew. And I mean to tell you, it was amazing. That sun was hot and the sweat was flowing and it seemed like just hour after hour, it just grew warmer and warmer. And it got to the point where that sun was hitting us right in the face and it kind of heating up those helmets. And it almost felt like, you know, if you ever opened up an oven and you felt that heat hit your face, that's kind of how it felt to some degree. That heat and the rigorous terrain made for a pretty uncomfortable march. The sun peaked, the temperature rose, men began to stagger. There were even some that collapsed as a result of the heat and the weight of their packs. They'd get them and they'd throw them on the back of a vehicle and make someone else carry their pack for them or something stupid like that. It was amazing. Good times. I still remember the pain in my shoulders. I mean, honestly, I, I've always had kind of bad neck and shoulder thing. It's inherited from my family. And I just remember it wasn't long into the march. I'm already getting a horrible headache, just pounding in my head, up and down the terrain and the heat beating on those helmets and those packs with all of its weight across the shoulders. And it just felt like it would never end. But then all of a sudden, we, I still remember that they would tell us in the midst of the heat, they'd say, all right, we're taking a break. I always enjoyed the breaks. Would you walk over to the side and pop that pack off my shoulders for just a minute, get in that shade, and boy, did that feel good. Take a little drink out of that canteen that you had, and it wasn't long, you're right back at it again. Seemed like it would never end. But later that afternoon, we crested a hill, and there, as we crested that hill in the distance, we saw those barracks standing tall on the horizon. Man, I'll tell you what, that was a great sight. And that evening, I was very happy to be back in those barracks and pouring into my bunk. You know, this refining instigates Hold on a second, I have to look at my notes because I think I might have put the wrong word down. No, this is good, yes. (laughs) Had to look at that word. I just couldn't get it in my head. I'm like, what in the world am I writing that for? But it's really pretty good, actually. Now that it just hit me, boom. Because, you know, you have to have all the R, the I's, and the, you know, together. But anyway, watch. This refining instigates evacuation. You say, that sounds crazy. Exactly, my first impression too. And I just came up with that little thing just this morning. But it instigates evacuation. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. God wants each of us in that secret place. You know, he says over the book of Psalm 91.1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, when we're uncomfortable, we're not very prone to go seeking the shade. When it's not very warm outside, you don't really go, boy, I sure would like to find me some shade. It's when it's extremely warm. It's when the sun's beating down upon you. It's when it's very uncomfortable that you say, man, I've just got to, I've I've got to somehow get out of this sun. I've got to get away from this heat. I've got to find that place of rest. I've got to get into the shade. (laughs) 
on that march, I couldn't wait to get some relief. A need had been created for some shade. Why? Because of the pain in my shoulders, the sun beating down upon my head. And all of a sudden, man, I could not wait to find that shade and to find some relief. That heat drove me to the shade. You know what? God permits the heat in our lives to drive us back to Him. To drive us to that secret place, that shadow of the Almighty. That refining instigates an evacuation. An evacuation from the life that we presently live. An evacuation from the stress and the strain and the trial and the tribulation that we face each day. And we evacuate to His shadow. It's in Christ that we really find our rest, isn't it? And sometimes we don't seek that rest unless we are miserably uncomfortable. So the refining instigates evacuation, but also this refining invites evaluation. It invites evaluation. Again, the heat and the burden of that march revealed some weaknesses in my life. I was happy to finish, no doubt about it. And in so doing, I, I found a great sense of accomplishment. I, I felt that I, I, I had accomplished something great. I, I had a sense of confidence even as a result of a 25-mile march in the midst of the, that heat and the, the beating sun and the, the weight of the pack on my back. And I didn't fall out. I didn't pass out. I made it. I did it. But I saw also was very, I was forced to face the brutal reality that I wasn't quite as strong as I might have thought myself to be. I realized I needed to work a little harder if I really wanted to be in the kind of shape I needed to be if I was going to face war. It might not be 25, it may be 50 miles. It may not be a 50-pound pack, it may be a 180-pound man on my shoulders. And I realized I better get stronger or suffer in the long run. So this is a lesson that that trial taught me in my life. And the fact is, is that in our Christian life, it's the same way. We realize at some point in the midst of the heat, when our feet are put to the fire, we realize in this refining process that we're not always as prepared and ready as we thought ourselves to be. We're not as spiritual as we thought. We're not as, as strong in the faith as we thought. We notice areas of weakness that must be addressed if we intend to go forward and become better for God. So the refining instigated evacuation, but it also invited evaluation. And finally, this refining inspires appreciation. Well, I learned another valuable lesson that day. It was an enduring march. It was a rough march. The heat, the burden helped me to appreciate, though, what I already had. I'll be honest with you. You know, being in a barracks with 60 guys, sharing showers with 60 guys, no stalls, sharing toilets, no stalls, hanging out, just letting it all hang out, no privacy whatsoever. I'll be honest with you, that, that's not my idea of the Taj Mahal. That's not my idea of, of, you know, a nice hotel stay. 
There were times you'd lay there at night and hear guys crying their bunks, whining about the fact they just lost a girlfriend or crying because they felt the drill sergeant hated their guts and they just were so beat up or something happened to them. And then you'd hear these cries, you'd hear these whining, you'd hear, I mean, I walked in the shower one time, some dude was cutting his wrist and I had to get, take care of that. And I mean, just crazy stuff. I mean, who wants to live like that? But I'm going to tell you something. After marching 25 miles in that heat and rolling into that bunk that night, I appreciated those barracks. I appreciated that soft bed. I appreciated everything about it. I sure would rather be there than back out in that heat again. I learned to appreciate that place. The refining process inspires appreciation. You go through a tough time in your life, you start to appreciate the things you do have not the, in, in, instead of longing for things you don't have. Amen. Yep. That bunk was no Tempur-Pedic mattress. <laughs> but it felt like one that night, let me tell you. So we see that ultimately the heat will refine us. But not only that, the heat will temper us. It needs to make us stronger. I've told this story a number of times, but it's one that has affected me throughout my life. Again, we, uh, I was just about 10 years of age. Well, I think I might have been 11 or 12 at the time, probably 11. We'd moved into a new house at about the, I was age 10 when we moved in. And it was probably that next year, that summer after we moved in. So I was 10 and a half, maybe, 11 years old. I remember that in the, uh, that house that we moved into, there was a side yard. And that side yard had uh, just kind of had been left go. Nobody lived there. There were uh, just weeds and trees and things sticking up all over the place. And I remember that my dad had uh, decided we're going to go ahead and clear that property. We're going to make it usable. We're going to put a side yard in beside the house. And although it had been let go, we're just going to need a little elbow grease to get it done. So my dad, he uh, brought to our attention this tool. It's called a sickle. It has a handle and then it's got a kind of like a question mark. But on the inside of that question mark, it's sharp. And so you hold it in your hand and you, you swing it like that and you cut down weeds with it. You cut down little those little tree things that start growing and stuff. Now, the yard was probably only a 50 by about 120 feet. But when you're 10 years old, it seems like a jungle. I mean, it seemed like it would never end. And my dad, what he would do is every day, he would say to me and my brother, he'd say, all right, I want you to chop this section down today. He never said just do the whole yard. He just said, I want you to do this section. I don't know how big a section would be. Honestly, as I look back, it probably wasn't that big a deal. But every night he'd come home, and my dad worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week. He'd come home after work, and he'd walk out into the side yard, and he'd take a look at what we were doing, and I remember one time we hadn't done what we were supposed to do and he woke us up out of bed and made us go out and start cutting. I also remember that in the process of that job, I remember getting blisters on my hands and they broke up and would bleed. I remember wrapping 
cloth around my hand so I could hold on to that sickle as the blood would come through the cloth. And I'd think, this is ridiculous. My hand's bleeding. It hurts so bad to swing that stupid thing. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Remember, 10 and a half, 11 years old. I think that's about what I was, wasn't I? Oh, I was nine, excuse me. I gave myself a little too much credit. Nine years old. My brother was 10. This went on for what seemed to be weeks on end, months on end. Every day, the little section, every day. Pretty soon, though, the broken blisters that were bleeding stopped bleeding. Pretty soon, they turned into hard calluses. I learned a very valuable lesson in that field, swinging that sickle with blistered and bloody hands at the age of nine. Here's what I learned. Please listen closely. I learned that I could swing that sickle with blistered and bloody hands. That's what I learned. You say, what? Yeah, that's what I learned. I learned I could swing a sickle with blistered and bloody hands. See, I learned I could do it. People say it's not right. That's abuse. I learned a valuable lesson as a nine-year-old boy. I learned I could do it. And I learned I didn't have to quit. That lesson has followed me my entire life. I've never forgotten it. There have been times in my life when I felt like quitting. There have been times in my life when I was in pain or suffering and I said, No, I will not quit. I will not give up. No matter how bloody it is, no matter how hard it is, I will not quit and I will not stop. I learned I could do it. I can take it. I can deal with it. Sometimes God just wants us to know that we can do it. That we can endure. And the lessons that we learn and that we get through those tough times are invaluable. We may be tempted to view God's efforts to temper and refine us as being cruel, unreasonable, and unnecessary even. But if we would just be perfectly honest with ourselves, we'd have to agree that there was a lot of growth and improvement needed in our lives and in our character. And that God did use those times in our lives. Listen, can I give you a piece of advice tonight? You say, nope, you're going to hear it anyway. <laughs> Don't cheat your children out of, a, of difficult times. Don't cheat them out of tough times. Allow them to experience some tough and demanding situations. Allow them to be pushed, stretched, and even taken advantage of in certain situations. Make them sweat. Make them toil. Make them suffer even to some degree. And you know what they'll say? I can swing that sickle and with blistered and bloody hands. 
I can do it. See, then when jolted by a girlfriend or a boyfriend, they'll simply keep going. Then when criticized by others, they'll just keep going. Then when made fun of by their peers, they'll just keep on going. Then when facing loss and difficulties, they'll just keep going. Then when defrauded and taken advantage of, they'll just keep on going. Then when tempered, uh, tempted to quit and give up, they'll just keep on going. See, that's what we call character. And that is what is missing today in so many lives. We protect our kids and we pamper our children. We don't live in the kind of culture and society that permits many times the opportunity to have to endure and push them. It used to be in a more rural setting, you know, they had to help farm and they had to get up early and they had to milk the cows and they had to go out and shovel manure and they had to push themselves and they had to do things that they weren't even maybe necessarily capable of. Maybe dad or somebody would help them along. They eventually came to the point where they're throwing up bales of hay into a wagon and they're, they're having to endure that for 10 and 12 hours a day, pushing themselves beyond what they believe to be their limits. But you know what? You made it. Some of you lived that life. And you're okay. But we have pampered our children. Some won't even let their children outside. Let me give you a piece of advice. Do not baby your children. Let them experience the hurt of fun. Somebody around here says, fun hurts. It does sometimes, doesn't it? But you know what? Sometimes God allows us to go through those difficult times. See, God's raising up an army of soldiers. And soldiers have to be trained to say, I can do it. Let me ask you, what kind of Christian soldiers are we raising in our homes today? Are they whiny, soft, and unhappy unless they get their own way? Do they feel entitled to every modern convenience and comfort? Are we raising soldiers who are forged steel? Or sons and daughters as delicate as fine china. God's our Father. And even as our Father, He permits the devil to turn up the heat in our lives because that's what's best for us at times. It's not comfortable, but is often best. God knows what we need more than we do. He permits us to face trials head on at times giving us opportunities to grow stronger and more pure. See, the heat reveals our impurities. Remember that steel or that is, is submitted to heat and the dross comes to the top. Man, at the very beginning, as you look at the steel, it looks perfectly fine. But as it's submitted to heat, the impurities rise. And the heat will reveal my impurities and yours as well. We come face to face with our true character or lack thereof. And then that same heat along that same line reminds us of our imperfections. 
as we begin to recognize our impurities, as we begin to realize that our character has some kinks in it, we have come to the place where we know we are not perfect and we have our imperfections and those faults are exposed and we're reminded, hey, there's a lot of area of growth that you need. Not only that, but the heat redirects our interest. It's amazing how that heat will cause our eyes and our minds to be placed back on God. It's so easy to get distracted from the Lord. It's so easy to go forward in our Christian life and just go through the motions. But boy, when we are subjected to that heat, it redirects our sight. It places our eyes on Him. Take away the dross from the silver. There shall come forth a vessel for the finer. One may ask, what is dross in the Christian life then? Well, dross in the Christian life manifests itself in pride. A critical spirit. Negativity. Faithlessness. Rebellion. Evil imaginations. Evil communication. The list could go on and on and on. Dross. There's not one person that's ever suffered, outside of Christ at least, ever suffered like Job did. We really struggle to find somebody that lost as much as he lost, as quick as he lost it. Do you realize that Job from the Word of God, appears to have lost everything in his life in seven days. Seven days. Everything. And as we open up the book of Job, turn to Job chapter 1, verse 1. We're, we are almost done, really. We're not going to be much longer. But notice this about Job. I, I suppose one of the most difficult aspects of this refining process, this tempering process in our lives, is the thought that, God, how could you? God, I, I'm serving you. God, I love you. God, I, I'm yielded to you. God, I've given you my best, and you treat me like this. Look at what Job. Look at Job in Job chapter 1, verse 1. Note Job's, the commentary, I suppose, on his character. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Perfect and upright, feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil. Now, after reading this glowing commentary of his life to that point, let's face it, I'd find myself saying, well, wait, wait a second, how could a loving God permit such sorrow, heartache, and despair to enter the life of such a fine specimen of godliness. Makes no sense. I want you to note Job's conversation now. Notice what Job ultimately says. Look at Job 23.10. Here's how Job responds. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as Gold. Boy, Job obviously realized and recognized that God was tempering him and that God was 
putting him through a refining process. And you know what? That reality is equally as important to you and I today. Boy, how we must remember. When we find ourselves in the midst of great opposition, turmoil, difficulty, and struggle, whether those trials are the result of a satanic attack, whether they are God's chastening hand on our life, or whether it's possible that we've just brought it about by our own doing, God intends to refine us and to temper us through it all. To make us better. Not to compel us to be bitter. It's been noted concerning the oyster. It takes a grain of sand and it turns it into, it takes grains of sand and turns them into a beautiful pearl. Little grains of sand, little grain of sand turns it into a pearl. Well, wouldn't that be a gift, wouldn't it? Too often we're just the opposite, aren't we? We take pearls and turn them into grains of sand. Can you imagine what that gift would be? If you could literally take sand today and turn them into pearls, wouldn't that be wonderful? Think about how nice our building would look. You know what? As believers today, we are empowered to take gritty, dirty, difficult times that come our way and turn them into works of art that can ultimately become trophies of God's grace in our life. See, that's what Job did, didn't he? As perfect and as upright as Job may have been, do you realize there was still room for improvement in his life? I want you to look at Job chapter 42 now, verse 5 and 6. I mean, how can you improve on what we just read? I mean, this man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And yet, notice what we find in Job 42, 5 through 6. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wow, he came into the presence of God, didn't he? Wherefore I abhor myself. I abhor myself, Job says, and repent in dust and ashes. If we could ever truly grasp the holiness of God, no, no matter how, how righteous we believe ourselves to be, no matter how perfect we think ourselves to be, no matter how holy we think ourselves to be, we would be miserably crushed as Job was. Even as Job came face to face with his sin and need of repentance, the trials of our life do the same thing to us. They reveal our weaknesses, our inconsistencies, our pride and rebellion in our hearts. So difficult times drive us to God. Cause us to stand face to face with both Him and ourselves. And that combination is life changing. The end of Job's life brought greater blessing than the beginning. We're aware of that, aren't we? No doubt the latter came with a price though, didn't it? But in the end, it was a price Job, I believe, found worth paying. The Bible says in Job 42, 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. 
So in Job, we learn that God uses fiery trials to purge us of impurities and temper us for life. The goal God has for trials is to bring forth a vessel for the finer. So sin is a dross, an impurity in our life that must be removed. Why? So that we can be used to the utmost by the silversmith. You and I cannot become the valuable vessels that God would intend us to be until we've been refined. The process is not always comfortable. It can be painful even. It can even be harsh at times, but it is the only way to produce a metal most pure and most pliable. God is the silversmith. He's molding us today. He's making us into the very vessel that He desires. A pure vessel. A pliable vessel. And by the way, His will is always best. It doesn't always seem that way at the time when we're exposed to the extreme heat of life. But it is the only thing that will truly bring about the refining and tempering process that is necessary in our life. I wonder today, is there dross in your life? Is there dross? The truth is, every one of us would have to say yes. The question then is, will you yield to the fire of preaching? Will you surrender to the fiery trials and burdens in your life? Will you allow God to refine you, mold you into the precious vessel of honor that He would have you be? Will you permit Him to temper you and to make you strong on His behalf? Or will you resist it? Second Timothy 2, 19-22, as I close, simply says this. And just listen, please. You can write it down, but listen. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A refining process. A tempering process. Take away the dross from the silver. There shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Prepared for the master's use. I believe right there in the book of Proverbs chapter 25, as we kick off our series, we're immediately confronted with this thought. What does it take to be prepared for the master's use? And if we'd really be forward and frank, if we'd really be honest with ourselves and honest as we read through the Word of God, we would realize and recognize this truth. The only true way to be prepared for the master's use 
is to be exposed to the heat. There's no way that we can escape the heat if we honestly want to be in the image of Christ. It's impossible. So may God help us to not resist the heat, but to accept it as an opportunity to be refined and ultimately be stronger on His behalf. Father, we come to You. We ask, Lord, for Your help. And, Lord, there's nothing easy about a message like this.